Sidekick is live. It's not Thursday, it's Wednesday. We're not high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We're high atop sunny, kind of, South Florida alongside Cooper Patagna. Got Steve Wolfong about to join me. I'm Josh Pate. We are loaded, jam-packed as always, because it's National Signing Day, as evidenced by the crystal ball here. You stroked the crystal ball, and we got a lot to talk about. Um, the thing that I want to talk about the most is what everyone wants to talk about, and that's big boys making moves on National Signing Day. I'm going to bring Wolfong in on this, but let me start with you, Cooper. We sat here earlier in the day, and we looked at Alabama, and we said, are they going to finish with the highest rated class of all time? The numbers were going to be hard there. A&M did like freakish things last year. Next question, are they going to get close? Probably yes. That turned out to be true. Third question, could this be Saban's highest rated class of all time? And they may not be done putting the class together, by the way. This thing looks impressive right now. Well, that's the impressive part about it. We went into it the day before knowing that we just got the addition of Caden Proctor, the five-star tackle, out of the state of Iowa, flipping from the Hawkeyes. And that's kind of what started the momentum here. And then we knew that Crimson Tide were sitting in a really good position with Jaquavius Rousseau and James Smith, two players in the top 50 from the state of Alabama. So you consider that. And then the news in the morning right? The one that is probably going to dominate what me and you are going to talk about tonight, but that is Cormani McLean, yep. one of the best prospects in the country, been committed to Miami for quite some time, but he doesn't sign today. So when you take a step back, factor that into it, Alabama's still in play for Desmond Ricks too. It was a really good day for him. Yeah, uh, Steve in Nashville today, by the way, could have just stayed in my apartment if you asked. But Steve, he likes to stay a little bit more fancy accommodations than I'm used to. Steve, when you look at the class Alabama landed, you could, you could talk like an hour on this thing, I know, but if I were to tell you, give me the Wilt Fong minute and a half condensed version, what stands out the most to you? Well, they landed uh, the future, or excuse me, my brain is fried. What, what's the award they give to the best defensive back in college football? The Thorpe. Uh, the Thorpe Award, yeah. Caleb Downs is going to win that in his career. You can mark that down and book that. He's the best player. He's the best high school football player in college football. He's going to be an instant impact starter for the Crimson Tide in the back end of their secondary. They go out and land the number one offensive tackle in, in the country. They have arguably the number one edge rusher in the country, number one defensive lineman in the country, and number one linebacker in the country there. And uh, they bring in the best running back class in the country too with Justice Haynes and Richard Young. So it's a phenomenal class for Alabama that's going to have a lot of attrition at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Their secondary got exposed a little bit this year. I think Caleb Downs will help rectify that. So. I think this is a class that can help Alabama getting back to playing the football that they like to play every year. All right, so your boy here has to catch a flight in like um, 75 minutes, so I want to hop around a lot. I want to go to the number two class. Steve, actually, I want to stick with you for just a second because with Georgia, we don't see like offensive fireworks littered up and down this list of players, but the class looks exactly like a Georgia football class should look, at least to me. So what stands out the most there? And also, do you think they're done? Well, I think tomorrow that they have a great chance to add four-star defensive lineman Jordan Hall. I also didn't know that Private Plains 
I, I thought that maybe you could ask them to push that back 20, 25 minutes. I think Monroe Freeling was a big-time offensive line get for Georgia there. Uh, Jonel Aguero is the number two safety in the country, in my opinion, and a hard hitter, a guy that's going to be a tone setter on the back end that's going to remind of Lewis Seen. And then this is one of the best linebacker classes in the country as well, a headline by Raylan Wilson and Troy Bulls. And, and this C.J. Allen kid, he's going to, uh, he's going to be a uh, tackling machine for Georgia. Uh, love that pickup for the Bulldogs, second-level defenders. So, Cooper Protecting, i got good news for you. Before I even toss this to you, this is called a curveball, okay? <laughs> I, um, I just got it on good authority from someone in a, a very prominent player personnel department that maybe our feed was live a little bit before we knew it was going to be live. And so you were seen doing some things and talking about your personal appearance that maybe you didn't want out on the live airwaves. Oh, now that you know that and you're rattled, what do you think about the Georgia signing class? I love Georgia's signing class. You definitely threw me off there. But Jamal Jarrett in the middle, I think that's kind of where you start. We, we start with the front seven. You know, we want to start with the linebackers as well. I mean, starting at the top, Raylan Wilson, C.J. Allen, and then Troy Bowles. We've talked about those guys throughout the day, but that is the teeth of what Georgia wants to do in Kirby Smart's identity as well. It's going to be built in the front seven. I just talked about Jamal Jarrett. Steve is on here saying, hey, uh, Jordan Hall, pretty good chance he's going to end up at Athens at the end of the day. So I love what they're doing up front. That That is who they are. That is their identity. We also talked a little about earlier in the show about their offensive line as well. I love the tackle combination. We've been talking a lot about Miami, a lot about LSU when it comes to the offensive line. They don't get enough credit. Monroe Freeling, Bo Hewley, I think two of those guys are going to be pillars for them uh, in the long term. And then the tight end position, they just continue to do what they do there with Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperling. Oh, I love those tight ends, man. Because those tight ends, they, if you were to tell me, hey, those are future edge rusher types, we're going to have to develop them for a year, you just show me the height and weight, I'd say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, 6'3", 6'4", 220, 230, that makes perfect sense. Um, naturally, when you talk about Georgia, the next thing you want to do is jet all the way out to the West Coast. And I want to talk about USC for just a second, because I was sitting upstairs with you late last night, probably later than we should have been up, considering what we had to do today. And you were talking about not only the class Lincoln Riley's putting together, but you were talking about how even if you're in Southern California, there's still an aspect or maybe layers of your class you've got to go nationally to get because your backyard may give you tons of four and five star talent. Is it proportionate to make a football team out of? Because I could recruit 25 five star receivers, have the number one class in the country and get trucked next year. On the lines of scrimmage, they are proving that to be true and they're currently trying to effort getting out of Southern California to be able to find those bodies. Well, big bodies are, are hard to find. Like we've referenced this stat throughout the day. There's only 18 players in the top 247 from the state of California. Zero of them are offense or defensive linemen. So when you put that into perspective, that kind of paints a grim picture for Oregon and USC teams that in the Pac-12 and now USC going to the Big Ten want to be sustainable factors in the college football playoff uh, uh, realm of things. So, yeah, I think it is very difficult for these guys. That being said, they go to Arizona, they get a really good tackle on Elijah Page, a guy that I like a lot, really good size there. I do think they're going to have to lean on the portal. But the other thing is we haven't talked anything about Braylon Shelby. They go down and get one of the best front seven, uh, three, four edge guys in the country out of the state of Texas. They also go to Louisiana, get Tackett Curtis as well, who we really like as a second level linebacker. They've done some good things in this class. Going to the portal, Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State, who definitely had a market, you know, so I think they're going to have to continue to go to the portal. I think Dan Lanning's done a really good job, but the offense and defensive line, the line of scrimmage on the West Coast, 
when it comes to Oregon and USC is going to continue to be a battle, even though they're not going to be in the same conference anymore. It's really fascinating to bring Steve back in here because, Steve, I know you talked a lot about Oregon today. Uh, you had my eye on them. I've had my eye on them. Cooper, you've been watching them really close. Some thoughts on how Oregon saw their class evolve today because there was like a, it seemed like about an hour stretch right around lunchtime, at least on the East Coast, where things all of a sudden just went crazy. And then you look up, the dust settles, and Oregon right now, the number seven class in the country. Well, now I have my eye on LOIs and them getting sent in, and naturally Peyton Bowens is not in, so we have not seen any kind of official announcement from Oregon that he plays for the Ducks right now. Um, but fantastic class. I mean, another one that I think, you know, escalates the program. I think we always knew that Dan Lanning was going to bring big-time recruiting chops there uh, with the impact that he had recruiting uh, at the University of Georgia, and he understands what a championship roster looks like with his time spent at Georgia, and they were trying to recruit that caliber player out west uh, to Oregon, and it's not even about the high-profile guys like Mateo Uagalele, who's a no-brainer, but also going to the state of Texas where you're hoping to land four-star defensive lineman Ashton Porter in January, and I think they will, or making sure you have a lot of speed in your receiver room. Guys like Ashton Kozart and Jurion Dickey can be game-breakers uh, for them in the receiver room. Tyler Turner is a hard-hitting um, uh, a playmaking safety out of the Lone Star State. So I think they have a lot of good finds in this class along with the blue chip talent at the top. Uh, Cooper, quickly on Oregon, I got some thoughts on them too, but just your general thoughts on this class. It is extremely difficult to lose one of the best arms in the country in the 11th hour. That is exactly what happened with Dante Moore flipping to <laughs> UCLA earlier this week. And then for Oregon in the same week, to bring in Austin Novosad, one of the best arms in the country, a guy who's a top 100 player for us, and a really good arm that a lot of people wanted. I don't think people remember that. Over the summer, Austin Novosad kind of opened this thing back up with Baylor. Ohio State was in there. Notre Dame was in there. Texas A&M and a handful of others. So for him to have this relationship with Will Stein, who should get a lot of credit here, the new offensive coordinator who came over from Texas San Antonio, that is tremendous work. And then you add in... I know they're still waiting on the LOI from Peyton Bowen, Mateo Uwa who as of a couple days ago, a lot of people thought he was going to USC. You know, Dalen Austin is a guy that we haven't talked about, but, uh, you know, a guy from California, Long Beach Poly, he's been committed to LSU for quite some time. They get him late in the fold. Defensive backs, too. They've done a good job in the portal. They go out, they get Kyrie Jackson, Alabama transfer. I absolutely loved what they did today. I haven't even talked about Jaden Lamar. There's a handful of other guys on the board, but that is championship recruiting. Yep. That's what it comes down to. These guys today had a hell of a day. I mean, they started in the mid-teens, the middle of the pack. Now they're here at number seven. If you want a, a championship product in Oregon on the recruiting trail, this is what it looks like. When you walk through the building in Eugene, there are a lot of guys who have spent a lot of time in the SEC. And that class came together today along the same lines in signing days past and this one that we've seen some of these SEC classes come together. It's not strictly SEC. I'm talking about the big boys who make the most noise late. It's not supposed to rhyme. It just did. But um, I think that when you lose Mario Cristobal, your primary concern should be what's going to happen to us in recruiting. Even if you think the world of your incoming staff on the field, what is signing day going to look like for us? And it's got to be such a sigh of relief for Oregon fans to know, hey, we, we actually kind of love the on-field product. We kind of overachieved this year relative to what we thought, but also 
we just made some noise on signing day, and that's not going anywhere. I'm going to make one last point on, on Oregon because it was a conversation that we used to have a lot when I was in Eugene working for Mario Cristobal. To me, Texas is kind of your outlet. We just talked about USC and how they needed to be more aggressive in terms of building both sides of the line of scrimmage. You look at what Oregon has done this cycle, going down, being able to get a guy like Austin Novosad out of the state of Texas. I believe, you know, uh, Ashton Porter, a guy they're still working on, waiting on a decision from. Peyton Bowen, as of right now, have the verbal commitment. To me, that is your great neutralizer in terms of talent, being able to use that. That is the state the most in the top 247 that produces the most talent. 45 players out of the top 247 players in the country come from Texas. Uh, Steve, I wanted to bring you back in here in Nashville, just laboring. Steve, how many hours of sleep did you get last night? Uh, over, under, set it two and a half. I slept about three hours, but honestly, I've sat at this desk for nine. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm excited to, I'm excited to be here, man. It's uh, uh, to be here on on late kick here, closing out the day before I then sit in the car for five more hours here and. Yeah. Uh, Get back to Indianapolis, man. That's my little angel. I want to remind you guys, because there is a way that this show comes to you free of charge. Our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors making it all possible. We get to be on the road every week. We get to bring a show to you free of charge. There's no paywall between you and I this week or any week. And it's because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. It is right now the first day of winter. It is prime holiday shopping season. Make sure you get it done at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, as we always say, academy.com. And by the way, I'll go ahead and get you teed up. Christmas comes and goes. You still need supplies for all the spring sports. Just beat the rush. I saw some lines at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Don't be deterred. But if you're not a line person, Academy Sports and Outdoors online, academy.com has you covered. Thank you. Eternally grateful to our friends at Academy for carrying the show for us. They carry the water so we don't have to, and we appreciate it. We woke up this morning, 92% of the top 247 were already verbally committed somewhere. And that number is just astronomically higher than what it ever would have been in a previous era. And we were tossing around some theories. One is the calendar sped up a little bit. Maybe guys just know where they want to go earlier. The other, which I think is probably a lion's share of the reason is when real money is on the table, I mean real sizable six-figure NIL money, you get to look a kid in the eye on Sunday night and say, I need an answer now. You're not taking this to signing day on me. Okay, if we're, if we're offering this, or excuse me, if our collective is offering this in exchange, you're going to give me a solid answer. And as a result, there were a lot of solid answers already in the bag before we even woke up on signing day. Yeah, you are, are you in, are you out, dude? Right. What are we doing here, you know? And listen, people, I think people, you more than anybody know this, people kind of get rubbed the wrong way when it, when it comes to NIL, college football. It is a business, that's what we're seeing. When it comes to the best talent in the country, that's what this is. This is a business, especially in the transfer portal. The money is real. I'm not saying it happens in every recruitment, but it's certainly a factor. I mean, me and you today, the conversations that have been ha had in this building about some of the things that have transpired, it's those type of things that are getting worked out behind the scenes. And I know a lot of people don't want to lean into that, but that's where we are in college football. And to me, Josh, it's only going to become more normal for the sport. Here's the thing, okay? A lot of people are rubbed the wrong way. I have never claimed to be crazy about the direction the sport is headed. I'm also not as alarmist in nature, maybe, as some folks are. And here's why. 
And Steve Wolfong can attest to this because this guy's covered recruiting since the day before he was born. Steve, if we were to be covering National Signing Day 2015, and it looked like Bama, Georgia, Texas, Miami, Ohio State, LSU, Oregon, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Tennessee, etc. That's exactly how you would have expected a top 10 or top 15 to look five years ago. So if you were to just check in on signing day and you didn't know about the portal and you didn't know about the NIL, all these folks are telling you the sport's been turned upside down. You would look at this and say, it looks pretty much the same to me. It was a question, yeah, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Kinda. From that regard, you guys hear me? Yeah, I got you. Go ahead. Gotcha. No, I, I mean, I, because the, the, the powerhouse programs in college football have to keep adjusting to stay, stay near the top of the, the mountain, right? Well, uh, kind of, yeah. So Those are the haves already. Here's, here's, here's the thing about it. As you well know, because you have access to things such as Twitter, message boards, etc., people listen to that. And then the pushback is, yeah, but you can't tell me this kid would have gone here otherwise. You, I'm not telling them anything. What I'm saying is, if you go case by case, there are always going to be examples of guys who went somewhere today that five years ago wouldn't have gone there. I guess I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit maybe, because uh, truthfully, when you and I talk, we pretty much sing the same tune on this. But if I were to be devil's advocate, I would push back and I would say, okay, yeah, maybe individual recruitments are being changed. But this top 20 looks exactly like a top 20 did five years ago in recruiting. And so my pushback would be, how can you convince me the sport's been turned upside down if the sport doesn't look any different? I just say recruiting has just hit some major inflation is all it is now, <laughs> you know? There's always been, there's always been something at stake in it, but now the stakes are just higher, and uh, you know it's what it is. The LSU program, uh, to flip it back to actual individual classes for a second, you and I were looking at them last night, and we started talking about Notre Dame and LSU and the trade, essentially that was not an exact trade, but the trade in going from Kelly to Freeman in South Bend, going from Orgeron to Kelly, at LSU and everybody's happy and you never see that. There's always a winner and a loser, but in this case, both of these classes look really good. Um, the trajectory of both of those programs look really good. And here's the reality. Notre Dame looks to have lost a big time player today. You gotta be in the conversation of big time recruitments to lose a big time player. That may sound like a defeatist, inferior mentality. It, it's not at all. If you're always comfortable on signing day, then you're probably not recruiting at the highest level. Nick Saban loses guys on signing day. Kirby loses guys on signing day. So if you're not occasionally losing one, you're probably settling into that 15 to 25 range perennially, and that's, that's we're good enough, but is it enough? That whole conversation. Notre Dame looks good to me. LSU looks good to me. I have zero doubt that both programs are headed up. You have to step in the box if you're Marcus Freeman. That's your job. you got to set the tone in South Bend as the head coach at Notre Dame. I think a lot of people were, I don't want to say frustrated, but they felt like more meat was left on the bone during the Brian Kelly tenure, uh, during his time at Notre Dame. And I think that was true. I, I think both things can be said. I think Marcus Freeman has elevated the talent profile of this team in one year. And he's done a tremendous job doing that. Listen, there is no hardship. I said it earlier in the show about losing a guy like Peyton Bowen to a team like Oregon or losing a guy like Keon Keeley to a place like Alabama. If you get those guys in your program, they change the whole perception and trajectory 
of your program. And on the other side, listen, there was a lot of questions about Brian Kelly, a lot of videos out there, him dancing, a lot of people question marks. The guy his entire life has been a winner. And I think it's fair to question his fit at LSU as a recruiter. That being said, those questions to me have undoubtedly been answered this year, this cycle, the number six ranked class as of today, right now. He did a tremendous job on the offensive line. We talked about that. Did a really good job on the defensive line. You know the other thing about this? Three to four years from now, when you look back on this class for Brian Kelly and LSU, top to bottom, it's probably going to be one of the best classes that they have because I think the guys that they have signed here today are going to stay and develop. Sure, he'll lose a couple, but I think these guys fit exactly what Brian Kelly wants to do. I love what they're doing in Baton Rouge, and I think right now this is what they needed. And listen, a lot of people, they get lost in one through eight in a 25-person class. It's really about nine through 25. You gotta have depth, you gotta have two deep, especially when you get in December. Steve, I wanna toss it back to you. Now look, this is the final time that I can talk to you before we wrap the show, so. I love you in advance, but I want you to finish by talking about this Penn State class because they're sitting here number 13. It feels like they snuck around. They, they kind of lurked in the conversation all day. They're not going to be on the front of any kind of promotional headline or graphic or whatnot. Uh, this looks like a pretty good class, and we're also building on top of a foundation that includes bona fide five-star talent at quarterback from the last class for the next couple of years. What do you think about them? And perhaps the best running back room in college football you know, true freshmen, those guys. Um, but Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, they go out and arguably land one of the best tackle interior offensive linemen combinations in the country. They also hit big at the linebacker position. Tony Rojas, KVN Keys, I think they're guys that can keep the linebacker U mantra in place for them. And though, even though they're still waiting on a letter of intent from Conrad Hussey, a top 247 defensive back from the state of Florida that Florida State's in the middle of, of it for, they really uh, uh, hit big on some big-time defensive backs. King Mack from the Sunshine State, Elliott Washington, a former Alabama commit. And then Cooper and I saw Dakari Nelson at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. He's six foot three. He's 203 pounds. He had an outstanding season on both sides of the ball. Uh, th this is a Penn State class that I think is one of the better ones of the James Franklin era. You see guys with a lot of traits, a lot of guys that can run, length, speed. Um, and then, you know, they lost their quarterback early on but was able to go in, into Iowa and get Jackson Smolik, a nice pivot for them. He came out to the Elite 11 Finals and had a strong showing. So I think that this is a class, you know, look, Penn State, their program, they've been a New Year's Six team now. This is the fourth time under James Franklin, and you mentioned it, Drew Aller. They got maybe their franchise quarterback, potential first rounder down the road. The time is now if they're ever going to bust through and win the Big Ten again and get into a college football playoff and, and, and be competitive in that arena. This is a recruiting class that I think can help them get there. Steven, unbutton those top buttons. Have a safe drive back to Indianapolis. Enjoy the foot or so of snowfall you have coming your way. You're a soldier. We appreciate your service. Guys, happy holidays. Happy New Year. See you, fellas. What a face of the organization. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, that, I mean, complete machine. Okay, so what if I told you there are two teams in the top 20 we barely mentioned today? One of them South Carolina, one of TCU. You would say what to me? Shame on us? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. let's talk I mean, it's about, about them time, now. man. These are my guys. Listen, I think everybody gets to today, and it's easy to gravitate towards teams like Oregon. It's easy to gravitate towards teams like Auburn, new coach, Dan Lanning going into his second year. 
a lot to be excited about with those programs, but to me, this is a 12-month process and, and, and sometimes even a 24, 36-month process in terms of building a board, coming all the way to this date, and a lot of sweat equity, a lot of work comes into it. And the team, two teams that I, I really wanted us to talk about for me were TCU and South Carolina. And, and I love looking at the marriage of on-field success and can you carry that to recruiting success. And when I look at TCU, you look at them last year, number 45 in the country. And you look at the potential this year. Right now, they're sitting at number 16. I love what Sonny Dykes has obviously done on the field this year. If you're a TCU fan, you got to be ecstatic about that. But looking at TCU, Marcus Deal, top 247 defensive lineman, that's certainly going to help uh, in, in the long term. Cordell Russell, another guy out of the state of Texas that I really love. Avian Carter helps beef up the front seven. Jamel Johnson, a former Texas commit, the safety. And then this kid, Max Carroll out of Tennessee. TCU, for whatever reason, all the way going back to Jerry Hughes, has a reputation of taking these big jumbo athletes or two-way guys or three-phase players, and they figure them out at the next level. I think this kid is the next version of that. But to me, what I love about TCU is what they've done in the transfer portal. I know this is a signing day show, but already you match up with what they've done on the high school acquisition side with what they've done on the collegiate side. Tommy Brock, Brockmar, highly recruited, goes to Alabama, bounces back. He's at TCU. JoJo Earl, same deal. Another guy, highly recruited, didn't work out. Now he's back at TCU. Jack Besh from LSU had a great freshman season. Talented room, attrition there, right? And then Avery Helm from Florida, another talented guy out of Texas. And guess what? Kicking the tires on former five-star receiver Chris Marshall. To me, if you're TCU, and you want to say, how do we stay in the conversation? This is it. You don't go any further than what they're doing right now. I love what they're doing. It's a perfect confluence of events, one of our favorite words on the show, because you are, well, you're in the Big 12. That happened a while ago. OU and Texas are exiting the Big 12, which just leaves a ton of oxygen in the room that used to not be there. You've also got yourself in the middle of the transfer portal NIL era. Now, that means different things for different teams. If you've got deep pockets, that's simple. That just means you can go buy a class. For TCU, what it means, especially in the portal part of the transfer portal NIL era, is there are fallback programs. What I mean by that is someone whose pinpoint on the map just happens to be perfectly located. The Metroplex and the three-hour radius around said area, two areas in the same sentence, is a place where a lot of kids come from naturally. Most of them leave, especially if you're talking about TCU and they go elsewhere, just like a lot of South Florida kids leave, just like a lot of Southern California kids leave. Well, inevitably, a percentage of it won't work out. And they will look to inevitably go somewhere else in the portal. Well, a lot of them just want to go back closer to home. You just happen to be there. TCU just happens to be there. I think Miami's going to benefit from this. I think UCLA could end up being a massive beneficiary from this. And it's not that those programs have been radically overhauled. Sure, there's differences there in head coach and whatnot, but it's not that overall, if you open up the hood, it looks totally different. It's that the road they're on is different now, which is my most powerful metaphor of the day, and I'm right in the middle of making it. I'm proud of myself. But TCU is someone you really better be careful with moving forward because they're, gonna, they're going to be in a situation where they can win the Big 12 any year. Therefore, they're going to be in the conversation, especially when we expand this thing in a year. And you know as well as anyone, I push back on a lot of this playoff access is going to lead to recruiting inflation for a lot of programs. This is the kind of program that benefits from it. Notice it's already happening before they expand the playoff.
they're a scary team. They can kind of sit back and be very choosy about who they want. And you talk about the influx of talent with a couple of these guys coming over from the SEC, all of these guys coming over from the SEC. We've talked about it. I think this is the recipe for them going forward. The other team I want to talk about, eight and four this season, seven and six last season. And people say, okay, listen, it was kind of an up and down road for Shane Beamer year one, but they exceeded expectations. They win seven games. They go out. They win the Duke's Mayo Bowl against North Carolina. And what does he do? He takes all that momentum from what he built last year in 2021 and takes it into the offseason. They go eight and four, win it, win one more game than they did last season, and they beat Clemson. And now you look at South Carolina, they have eight top 247 commitments, which for South Carolina, that's saying a lot uh, about the job Shane Beamer and his staff have done. But to me, it's about what they've done in the front seven, uh, starting with, with top 247 defensive lineman Xavier McLeod in the middle. Also a guy like Pup Howard, who they had to beat Florida and Billy Napier on out of the state of Florida. Desmian Umiazulu from the DMV, a long 6'6", developmental upside pass rusher. I mean, I love their class. Bakari Swain, who it looks like they're going to hang on to. We talk about height, weight, speed a lot, right? And, and how do you break through if you're a team like South Carolina, who's a team that's thought of as a second-tier challenger in the SEC East? This is how you do it, and you take it cycle by cycle, and you continue to stack these classes, and you have an upward trajectory, and you got to make next year better than this year. And if they continue to do that, they're going to be a factor. They're going to be a factor in their own state, by the way. I know they don't compete with Clemson in the SEC, but every other day of the year they do. Uh, they just beat them on the field this past year. These classes now start to look more and more comparable. You need to stack those classes, as you just said. But I was just doing radio in uh, Greenville a little while ago, and we were talking about how – how that gap would close. Well, it closes with days like today. It closes with days like uh, what happened during rivalry week this past year. Okay, I got to get to the airport really, really soon. But some final thoughts here. I think it's, it's as usual, it's staggering how much of the day we spend talking about the SEC, but it's because largely those are the programs that make the biggest move on signing day. I was fascinated and continue to be with what happens in the state of Florida. I really want to see what happens with Cormani McLean. I really want to see with portal kids like Travis Hunter what happens. Some final thoughts as we turn the lights out here on signing day. I'm fascinated to see what happens with Miami. There's going to be a lot of expectations for this team on the field this season because a lot of the guys that they're bringing in are really an anomaly. What I mean by that, guys like Francis Mauagoa, guys with Samson Okanlola, they come with expectations. These guys are going to be expected to play immediately in Coral Gables. Cormani McLean on the other side. It is an immensely talented class that he's got coming in. I'm fascinated to see Texas A&M, another team. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, all right, how do they pick up the pieces from last year, right? And they had a good class today. They didn't have the volume of what they had last year. It was, it was a historic class, but they still have really good pieces coming into College Station. Ruben Owens, the number one running back in the country, barely even talked about him. The other thing I'll say, I thought it was a really, really good day for Texas. You know, to be able to have Anthony Hill in the middle, a guy that I think is a true modern three-down linebacker, and then be able to complement him with a guy like Tassilia Kana, who you got to beat Oklahoma for. And then Derek Williams from the state of Louisiana that you know there were a lot of teams pushing for, LSU included. To be able to get him in that class, similar to how we talk about some of these other teams, about Josh Heupel in Tennessee, that I'm not really concerned yeah. with Texas and offensive firepower and how they stack up. I think we've seen that they're very capable there. Can they do it defensively on the biggest stage when it counts? That's my question. But a lot of fireworks, man, and I'm excited about Oregon, too. Great day. Nice, nicely spread, by the way. 
You know, we covered the country there. One last thing. Go for it. Utah. They don't get enough credit. I love the job that they do, Kyle Whittingham. Listen, I worked in the Pac-12. There was no one man that I think people feared more and respected more than Kyle Whittingham. And every year what they do, they take players that, with all due respect, aren't as highly recruited. Mm -hmm. They line up from you, and they take it to you for four quarters and 60 minutes. And guess what? Four guys, top 247 this year. And there's a ton of guys that we're not even going to talk about tonight that are going to be really, really good players. But they're losing Clark Phillips, this Smith Snowden kid that they got from Utah, another five, eight and a half nickel, who plays a lot bigger than his size. I love what the Utes are doing, man. I love just why these teams, when, when they recruit to their identity, that gets me fired I up. I mean, they're, they're hanging another Pac-12 championship banner out there, so they're doing something Second right. year straight. Can he make it to the airport in time? We'll see. We appreciate you guys joining. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and like the video. Uh, our Cole Kubelik interview received excellent feedback. I appreciate you guys. If you haven't already, you know, this is not typically an interview show. I made some exceptions. That's one I highly encourage you to go watch. You may think you don't like interviews. I don't either most of the time. That one you'll like, so make sure you go watch. For Steve Wolfong, for Cooper Protegna, producer Jesse, director Colin, both down here. They're about to head to a beach somewhere. I'm headed to the airport. I'm Josh Pate. Thank you so much for watching. Take care. Have a great Christmas. We'll see you back Sunday or Tuesday night. Until then, God bless.